Is your Shopify store ready for the biggest selling season of the year? Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to use during the holiday season to increase the size of almost all your orders. Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks. No coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You could count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, and Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrade cross-sales or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you can boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you can do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. The best part is it's geolocated so it only shows offers in relevant countries. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion and average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this holiday season. To get this special offer as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO, The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, Offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever. When you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Today on the unofficial Shopify podcast, we have a returning guest who earlier this year recorded one of our our most beloved episodes of 2021. It was about uh, product detail page optimization. We talked almost entirely about how to rate, how to write a great product description. It was a powerful episode that really resonated with people. So back by popular demand is Rishi Rowett from Frictionless Commerce. And we are going to go even deeper on this topic of product detail pages, but talk about the difference in new versus returning buyers. For me as an e-commerce professional, this is just a thing I know, right? It's it's nothing I question. I know that there is a difference there. But if you're new to it, if you haven't thought hard about it, there's a lot to unpack there. And certainly I am going to learn some things. So we're going to dive into it with Rishi, who is perfectly adept at this because he specializes in radically improving product page conversion rates. And he does that by trying to implement product stories. And he does it in such a a great way, where a a Sears catalog from 
a century ago is one of his greatest resources for inspiration. So, uh, Rishi, how you doing? Thank you for being here. I'm I'm super excited. I'm doing well, Kurt. Uh, it's a beautiful day here, and um, I'm excited to be chatting with you. And there's so much that we have to cover. So yeah, um, thanks for having me back. Well, the, the previous episode, why it, we talked about uh, product detail page, and really it was like we we're talking about description, right? That was a lot. It, you, the meat of it. Why do you think that episode resonated so much with people? I think one of the I think one of the key things that we discussed last time that I think was revolutionary for the audience was that we have this narrative of a static product page. So whether Kurt goes to a product page and if I go to that same product page and Vanessa from Virginia goes to that same product page, we are all shown the exact same description. And we know intuitively that Kurt's shopping habits are very different than Vanessa's. And so, I think we just have taken this for granted for so long. And I think when we spoke last time, we talked about this idea of using your product description as a way for your shopper to self-select who they are. Are they new to this category? Have they been searching for a solution for a long time? Are they price sensitive? And I think that idea was like shocking for the audience because they had never, they had always thought of their product page as being this one thing. And suddenly it became five different things, which kind of increased their workload, but also made it exciting for them because it could they could now like hyper personalize it and the best part about it was we didn't talk about using automations to let the users self segment we talked about it in in the context of let the users let themselves tell us what category they fall into and then personalize the pitch and i think that was really interesting no absolutely well and i think the you know, everyone's looking for that that competitive advantage, that that next big thing that's going to move the needle on revenue or conversion or you know whatever meaningful KPI, and it's often it's technical stuff, it's uh, less accessible stuff. And when we talk about product detail pages and and product descriptions, well, that's really like a thing that's meat and potatoes, but often overlooked. Yeah. Um. So in in this episode, we want to discuss. Uh, new how we craft the page on new versus returning buyers, and specifically new buyers, first time visitors to the site. Yeah, how are we defining that, and why does it matter? I mean, I think it matters because of gravity and the fact that your analytics data is telling us without any doubt, and it's your Shopify data as well that's telling us without any doubt that an overwhelming majority of people that are to your website probably in the 85% range are people that are coming for the very first time. What we also know is that nearly all of them will not come back after this visit um, if they don't buy. So we have this massive gravitational force that is against us. And so by really focusing in on these new visitors, these first time buyers, we can, we can, we can counteract that. And, and that's why I want to really focus in on that as being the, the thesis of this entire conversation. So how do I, where do we start? Where do we begin? Well, I think the first thing 
you know, I love to think in terms of analogies. And I think one of the analogies that I like to think about for product pages, and I think this is also a really important mental model, is that we tend to look at product page, we tend to look at our user journey as someone comes to the homepage, they read about us, they understand who we are, what kind of products we have, get the you know lay of the land. Then from there, they go to the category page. And then from there, they navigate to the product page. And then from there, they make the purchase. Actually, this is not how shoppers typically are exposed to us. Uh, if you are active in advertising, whether it's on Google, Google uh, product listing ads, or it's on Facebook or Instagram, what you're doing is you're showcasing a very specific product and a very specific uh, teaser to the buyer. And when they click on that, invariably with Google product listing ads, you have no choice but to take them to the product page. But I would say even for our clients that advertise on Facebook, they tend to have their ad strategy focused on very specific products. And so for this buyer, this first-time buyer, this, this all-important first-time buyer, not only is your product page one of the important pages that they encounter, it is the only page they see in that visit. And so your entire website is this one page. Now, as though it that isn't complicated enough, let's complicate it further by saying that this shopper is if they're on Google and if they're searching for a problem, if I'm looking for a curling iron, for example, on Google, Google shows me a whole bunch of um, you know, suitors. And what I'm doing is I'm in a very promiscuous state of mind. And so I right click and I open a bunch of tabs and I'm going directly to their product pages. And when I, so when I come to your product page, not only am I, you know, I already have one foot out of the door because when I came to your product page, I already knew I had three other tabs that could potentially be promising. So what we have to do as a, as copywriters is not only do we need to connect with the buyer, we need to give them a compelling reason to stick around for another five seconds and then use that five second time to build a case for spending another 10 seconds. Because once you cross that threshold, this, this time barrier threshold, it actually becomes monumentally easier to convert buyers. You just cannot convert shoppers in the first five seconds. So the goal is never to convert them in the first five seconds. The goal is to give them a compelling reason to spend another 10 seconds with us and then eventually they'll they'll be familiar with us and the some cost fallacy will kick in and they'll they'll want to really understand what I what's unique about our value proposition and that's when you can start the setting so here's the issue is the the inaccurate but easily made mistake if i'm the one in charge of this website whether i'm the marketer or the merchant whoever is that my visitor google's my brand name because they've heard of me through word of mouth, a referral, a friend, a billboard, whatever, heads to the homepage, scrolls top to bottom, clicks the about us, reads that top to bottom, then heads to a collection page that's perfect for them, shops their product, compares a few, adds to cart, purchases. Good to go, except it doesn't actually work that way. And the reality is, you know, and it, it I'm sure it's category dependent as well, but let's say I need something mundane, but requires research. Oh, I love research. And even... Yesterday, I'm like, I got to buy, my wife's like, I got to buy new garland. I want LED pre-lit garland. I said, oh, I got to buy some new Christmas lights. I had uh, 150 lights short out on me yesterday. We were putting it up while it was warm out still. And so I Google it. I Google five millimeter warm white Christmas LEDs. It's very specific. And so I know, ah, whatever pops up in that Google ads is what I want, probably. And so I'm going to open the first five. I got five tabs open. I am only two keys away, Command W, and I'm scrolling through. I'm just looking for the reason to throw this one out and move to the next one. Aha! This, oh no! 
This one has the wrong spacing. It's six inches instead of four inches between lights. What kind of monsters are these? Command W, close. Next tab. Oh, this is brown wire. Command W, next tab. And so I'm really just rushing through it in seconds. It's that like that bounce rate problem that you know your homepage has. But aha, the very nature of some products, the way we shop for them, the way they are advertised, creates this issue with uh, our product pages as well. Okay, 100%, I'm following you, I'm with you. Yeah, and I, and I just, I should add here as well. I mean, look, um, we already, if you're a Shopify retailer and you have a conversion rate of six, 7%, that's first of six, all- Six, 7%, to, oh my gosh. You need, if, if it's that high, you need to, even if it's 4%, I guess my point is, even if it's 2%, my point is that- All right, now we're getting back 2%, okay. More in the realm of reality. I respect, I respect the fact that you've got to that 2%. We are not, we're, 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 this conversation has nothing to do about those 2%. Those 2% of people are the ones that are going from your product page to your homepage, are going to your about us page. They're really understanding who you are and what you stand for. And that's the whole point is that when the user actually slows down and listens to what you have to say, you're an incredible brand. You're doing amazing things. All we're trying to say is that the 98% of people that miss out on that story, how can we get some more of them to actually understand how awesome you are? So we're, we're talking about let's lock in the conversion that we have, but let's now start thinking about that 20% that of our addressable market that's on our website. Look, if your conversion rate is 2%, 98% of them don't buy. And out of those 98%, I guarantee you 70%, no matter what we do, we'll never convert. I don't think we need to worry about that. I'm really thinking about the final 20%. That's the group that can be persuaded because they are kind of interested. They see the need. They are looking for the right brand. And how do we communicate with them? That's what this discussion is about. Like all things in business, Pareto's principle shows up yet again. We want our, our top 20% of customers, one out of five, we know those are the people who are going to browse and look around, and we need to serve them as far right. as our, our new visitors are concerned. Okay. Right. So, um, Where do you want I, to continue? I, oh, I, get, I understand the point, and I'm, I'm in that, that new visitor mindset, and I see how this happened. Now what? So this is this is so this is where we get to the real real most the most important part of this discussion is that there is no doubt that the layout of your product page, which and I would say that it's the mobile version of it because most people first discover you on your on the mobile version of the page. I would say that I've seen a lot of product pages and I would say layout wise, they're all pretty good. I think marketers have done a pretty good job in understanding how to optimize the layout. And so we've done a really good job there. We have good product images, we have multiple alternate views. We've got good price promos. We've got clear visible mention of the price. We've got a clear call to action on reviews. We've got typically most retailers, you know, 15 years ago, the number of reviews I would find on an online retailer outside of Amazon was was minuscule. Nowadays, it's very common to go to a website and see 250 reviews, 300 reviews. So they've got, there's a fair amount of social proof going on. So what's left? Now, if you think about it from the perspective of the buyer, the reason why the product description matters so much, that little box where typically sometimes we limit the content to two paragraphs because we don't want to overwhelm the reader or we don't want to break the design of the page, that little section is all they have to go by in order to decide to go from awareness to interest to desire to action. Those two paragraphs are all that we have available to them. Uh, that's where they go. And so the, while the product images are very reinforcing and they really help them understand the physical attributes of the product and how it might look from different angles and the social proof is a confirmation that other people also like it, 
ultimately it's the product description where they decide that is this the product that i'm looking for and does this satisfy all of my checklist items and also address all of the concerns that i have because i have a ton of concerns as well when i come to a product page the you know we recently had a client a tremendous business in a lifestyle category and they relaunched their site into this really carefully designed well thought out quite well executed lovely site and we assisted with the development we didn't do all of it and we suspect i you know we said hey should we push back on this because they've got all of their product description was in a um an accordion menu and it was all defaulted to closed and so when you scrolled through that page you did not see a description unless you actively clicked on one the right accordion menu and got the description and they launched this site and it really it's like the same content but an improved layout other than that and suddenly their conversion rate dropped 20 <laughs> percent and we knew exactly like there, they said, "Hey, we're, uh, you got any ideas on this?" I was like, "Yeah, it's this des the description. You got to bump this accordion menu open." And yeah, we made that change. It is too soon to tell, but it, it's trending up. So I'm fingers crossed that 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 was the genuine issue. But no, absolutely. I mean, it's that it's that text. It's that story. You know, the the listeners are anxious to understand. Okay, well, enough. We we understand you've you've beaten this point home that the product <laughs> description really matters. Now, what is the exact recipe? Just tell me what to do, Rishi. Otherwise, they're, the audience is going to come. They're going to break in your house. They're going to grab you by the ankle, shake you upside down, and get the secrets out. Give me the secrets. Now, buyer psychology is a really complicated topic. I'm not going to pretend like we've cracked it, and we never will. But what we have identified, it turns out that when a shopper is shopping, we have a mental subconscious checklist in our minds. Now, we don't know what it is, but we have a feeling when all the items in the checklist have been satisfied, we get this overwhelming feeling of joy and, and this urge to like pull the trigger. And until they haven't been satisfied, even if the sales pitch is confident and it's reminding me to click on the add to cart button, the buyer might not even realize what is holding them back, but they know that there's this weird feeling that's holding them back. So. This is what we're trying to solve for. We're trying to essentially reverse engineer to understand what that checklist is. Now, that checklist probably has, you know, hundreds of items that are situationally utilized. So, for example, if you're buying a sports car, I'm sure the checklist is different than when you're buying an apple in the grocery store. But what we have been able to identify, and this is where this gets powerful, is we are looking for common elements of that checklist so that it applies broadly to a variety of online retailers. And what we've identified is there are nine specific elements of that checklist that are, that the buyer is using at a very subconscious level. And, and you know, next I'd like to discuss each of those so that you can write copy on your product page that massively improves your conversion rates. Well, we're getting to the secrets. Break it down for me. The first one is people are skeptical of too good to be true. Now, on the surface, this seems like a very obvious thing. And um, I want to kind of really talk about the nuance around it because too good to be true isn't just simply making a claim that is fantastical, that, you know, just obviously is not true. We're not talking about that. Anything that even remotely gives the feeling of being even if it smells a little bit like too good to be true is a real problem. So what we do is, and what you should do, is go through your entire product description and be really carefully looking at every sentence and every idea that you're trying to communicate and ask yourself, does the way I'm communicating this come across as being too good to be true? So Kurt talked about uh, lights, uh, buying new lights. Now, if that retailer 
made wrote copy that said installing it takes 14 seconds you know now to, from their perspective this may be just a normal confident statement it may even be true but for a skeptical buyer it kind of feels a little too good to be true so even though they're not blatantly lying about something it's put this seed of doubt in my mind. And so what you need to do is you need to, first of all, be hypersensitive to these little micro claims that are being made that even if they're true, and this is the key point here is that sometimes retailers say, well, it's true, it can be installed in, in 14 seconds. My point is that if it can be installed in 14 seconds, then add some qualifying copy right next to that timeline and say that we know it sounds ridiculously true, but we've tested it with hundreds of customers. And actually that is how long it takes to install it. Address that concern. There's factually true, and then there's feels truthy. You know, regardless of whether it's true or not, if it doesn't feel truthy to me, you yeah. need to back up that claim. Correct. Or reconsider, like reconsider the presentation. You know, if you're like, oh yeah, you could just you just throw these lights on and you're good to go. Okay, that may be true, but it also took you know my wife and I and a, a eight foot ladder to install the set of lights that I then shorted out and need to replace. So I'm like, what? You can't do this. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and you know, and, and the thing is that we're talking about like really subtle, subtle things. So it's not even like the consumer remembers at the end of that session, Kurt might not even remember why he didn't buy from them. But actually, because this weird thing was floating in his mind, it's like, I don't know, this seems like they're kind of like making this up. Um, that is going to prevent him from buying. And so you want to be really hypersensitive to anything on your product page that sounds too good to be true, whether it's uh you know, whether it's around your price point, the installation, what the product can actually achieve, how it can actually improve your life. All of those things have to be kind of taken into consideration because that is going to derail the sale. So that's the first, that's the first strategy um, for your copywriting. Okay. So step one is go through it and make sure that, and I think some of this is just like being too close to your own product. And how, how do you tell if you're making this mistake? Well, I mean, I think first of all, I think this is this is so we have this very interesting process. We call this um, we call this deconstruction, where what we do is we literally go through every single word in the product description and we actually put each of it in separate buckets. And then we ask ourselves, like, you know, what is the purpose of this word? Is this absolutely needed? What are we trying to communicate with this word? And I don't think any retailer that we've ever worked with has ever done the insa insane task of actually breaking their description into individual words and really analyzing them. So I think I think the reason why this the reason why this kind of slides through is because we actually look at our descriptions very holistically without in examining them in very minute detail. So just the discipline of examining it in a very minute detail is going to expose to you things that you normally would not pick up on. Okay. So it really is just about being hypercritical in, in going through it with a fine-tooth comb. Yeah, that's right. Now, moving on to the second one um, is consumers crave expertise. We're living in a hyper-specialized world. You, we, we are no longer looking to buy from a retailer that is simply fulfilling someone else's product. We're looking for hyper-expertise. So even if you are reselling stuff, that's okay. Crutchfield resells audio equipment. Uh, they don't manufacture their own stuff, but they're still hyper-experts at, at those audio devices. And so can, this, is the, this is the challenge for us is that when you're reading your product description, how do we use that description as an opportunity to express our uber expertise to the buyer? Not just once, 
but in every single instance, because consumers want to buy the best product from the most capable people that you know make the best product in the world. I said, even if yes. it's $17, it doesn't have to be hundreds of dollars for the consumer to expect expertise. They expect expertise at every price point. Well, it's relative. In the last month, I bought a, gr a grill brush and I bought a new stereo receiver for a, a home theater setup. And I put the same amount of research into each and I saw the same amount of like listicles and articles and uh, buyer's guide for the same. And like, you know, one is $10 and the other one, depending on what you're buying, is 200 to 1000 so, And it was like, it felt like the same playbook for both categories. And really the reality is probably a lot of it is because you're drop shipping. And like, especially in the Crutchfield example, like they, they're drop shipping it. So, okay, how do you compare? How do you compete with Best Buy? you know, and Walmart, who will often be selling the same things. And that's demonstrating that authority and that expertise and making yourself a trusted resource is how you do it. That's exactly right. right. I got the you. Third, the third one is we root for people who beat the odds. Now, this is a very interesting one, and I don't know if there's any copywriting book that ever even talks about this, but it really goes to the, the spirit of how we behave as a species. There is something about us, and I don't know if it's connected to our prehistory and where it really emanates from, but it's a very strong desire within us where we, the way we navigate the world, the way we decide on who we want to align with. And, you know, buying from an online retailer is a form of alignment. You're using your dollars to cast a vote for the kind of world that you want to create. So we are really fascinated by people who have overcome odds. Now, there are two types of odds that we're talking about. One is the David versus Goliath odd, where you are a retailer and you're taking on this big, you know, taking on this big brand and you're saying, you know, we want to, we want to do things differently. We want to shake things up. That's one story arc that is very, um, resonates a lot with, the with, with readers. But the other way of doing that same thing is to think about your internal struggles. Um, you know, what are the challenges you've overcome in order to actually get to where you are today? And this, I, I want to stop here for a second because I sometimes think when I have a conversation with clients about this specific one that people are drawn to people who beat the odds, clients say, well, this this is this doesn't feel true for our story. This is this isn't how it how it came about for us. And I think, Kurt, to your point, you said something earlier. You said that the creator is so close to the problem. I think what happens is that the entrepreneur doesn't realize how close they are. And because they're so close to the problem, they actually their fantastical story actually becomes common to them. And they, they've told it so many times, they kind of feel like, who cares? Remember, the people we're trying to affect and convert are on our website for the very first time. These people have they, these people have no idea what your story is. And so by just pretending like your story isn't compelling, you're actually kind of doing them a disservice. Now, what I would say is that um, I have never met an online business. I don't care if your revenue is $200,000 a year, if it's less than $200,000 a year or 5 million or 20 million a year. Running a business is incredibly hard and every day you are overcoming monumental challenges. And so when I talk about this idea of people who are, you know, we are fascinated by people who beat the odds, I'm talking about those everyday challenges that you're dealing with. It could be, you know, you may have made a choice to say that, listen, our shipping supplier has increased their prices by 12%, but we're going to absorb that increase and we're going to eat that because we think it's the right thing to do. Now, this is a great example of something that you've, this is a challenge that you've overcome. And so my point is that 
talk about these things it humanizes you it makes it makes it makes the buyer who is seeing you for the very first time connect with you as a human being and and if you can connect with them then you slow them down if you slow them down they spend more time on your on your website and what we know from statistics is that the time on site is directly correlated to purchase intent so we want to slow our users down get them away from this you know hey i've got these 10 tabs open mindset to i want to learn more about these guys I think the snappy way of summing that up is people buy for people, not brands, which is a thing I've, I've said on the show probably more than any other. And you know, to use your Crutchfield example, which is like this massive dropshipper that's been around forever. If you scroll through their site, you will see photo after photo of what's implied to be Crutchfield uh, you know, employees, team members, et cetera. And it's, it's for this reason. Interesting one is when I interview clients and I ask them about you know, tell me about this product. I know it's your best seller. Can you tell me about the development process of it? What was difficult to engineer that you hadn't anticipated? And they always go to these incredible stories of like, we thought this piece of the development would be pretty straightforward. It turned out to be like super complicated. We we actually almost gave up on it, but then we said, no, we're going to keep on pushing through it. And we finally had a breakthrough, but I don't see any of that in their description. Like that, that that's one of the things that is a signal to me that they've overcome something difficult. Now it, it humanizes them. So I think it's a really important approach. No, absolutely. Well, moving on to the next one. Uh, shoppers are fascinated by surprising details. And uh, this is also quite interesting. Here's what I would say about this is that when, as a copywriter, my job is to actually get the buyer to read my entire description. This is, this is exactly what I want to do. I want them to start from the top, get to the middle and get to the bottom. Now, one of the challenges is this, is that, you know, we just, or even these four, first four ideas that we've talked about, you know, it. I think people listening are going to start freaking out saying that, listen, I only had two paragraphs worth of content allocated. These guys are talking about stuff that I don't know how I'm going to fit. The reality is, yes, you're probably going to have to increase your length. The problem here is that, you know, all said and done, no matter how fascinating we make the copy, you know, reading 10 paragraphs worth of content is is a challenge. And I don't think there's any consumer out there that's saying, you know, oh, I'm looking forward to 10 paragraphs worth of content. So how do we solve this? The way we solve this is by injecting interesting details across your sales page. So after paragraph number one, I want to introduce some really interesting detail. I want to do something similar after paragraph number two, after paragraph number three. Now, what are these interesting details? Sometimes clients will say there's nothing really interesting about, um, about what our product does. Well, that's not true. Every product is solving a very specific problem. And so what you can do is you can go to Google. So for example, if you are selling a, a shoe insert that is de designed to alleviate foot pain, you can do a Google search for some interesting stats around foot pain and you'll find lots of fascinating facts, facts how many Americans suffer from foot pain, um, how much weight our feet carry, all of these really interesting details. Um, and what you're doing is then you're selecting really small snippets of these and you're inserting them in your product description in a way that kind of stays on brand. Now, why, why do that? The reason you want to do that is because it's almost like a, a Kit Kat break. When the, when the reader is reading the first paragraph, their eyes start glossing over. And now they come across this really interesting statistic. I, I'm actually working with a client right now where they sell canvas prints. And one of the stats that I've included in after the first paragraphs is this, some fascinating num this number I found, which is that 97% of photographs we take on our phone, we see just once. And I was surprised by this and it seems shocking, but I in injected this after the first paragraph because I knew that 
most people will look at this and say, that is really interesting. It's on brand for what they sell. And it's interesting. And that interesting feeling gives you an energy, which I'm using now to get you to read paragraph number two. So injecting these interesting details increases the likelihood that the user will continue reading. And what we know is that in order to maximize the probability of a sale happening, you want to get them to, to the bottom of your sales pitch. A, a product could be boring. A product description could be boring. And it's easy to jazz it up with interesting details, which I think also add that a uh, little bit of level of authority to it as well. So we we did my my Christmas light example. So in there you could say um, uh, psychologists report in a 2017 study, psychologists report that people who decorate earlier are simply tapping into the excitement of the holidays before the rest of us, which makes them happier. So wow, I can actually cite a source in a if I'm selling Christmas decor, I can cite a study and say buying my product is proven to make you happier. That's the implication. And immediately, my Christmas light description just got significantly more interesting, more compelling, and then it, it's going to convert better. And it's such an easy tip. Yeah, it's and it's and you can actually ex expand on this. You know, for these for these for these lights, you can actually. I'm pretty confident. I'm going to make a prediction. These lights were probably energy efficient. So what that means is that people who are buying them you know, care about energy efficiency. So maybe you can add a little stat about energy efficiency, you know, not just a fact about your product, but actually about, you know, 85% of consumers care about energy efficiency. It's just an interesting fact. It reaffirms for the buyer what they believe in and gets them to buy. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15% overnight? This is not mission difficult, Mr. Hunt. It's mission impossible. Don't worry, Tom Cruise. This mission isn't impossible. Just use Zipify one-click upsell. Got mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions, plus built-in split testing for maximizing your results. It's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $162 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to zipify.com kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash Kurt, K-U-R-T. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. Okay, so just riffing back and forth, we've already come up with two ways to make something as mundane as Christmas lights significantly more interesting, which makes me believe you have to be able to do this for other products as well. Okay, I, I like it. I like where we're going here. All right, so moving on to moving on to the fifth strategy, which is that we are visual animals. Um, fifty percent of the surface of our brain is devoted to image processing, and so it's a very critical part of how we navigate the world. We just, you know, even even our listeners right now, even though they're listening to us in a podcast, they're imagining you and I sitting and having a conversation. Like it's it, they cannot they can't avoid looking imagining Kurt sitting with some other person, but they don't know who that person is, but they see two people. Um, and so the same is happening on our on our product page. And the, the strategy here is that we're using, what we know is that visuals embed deeper, again, this goes back to buyer psychology, visuals embed much deeper in the brain. And as a copywriter, anything I can do to go to deeper layers of the brain is what I want to do. And so visuals are extremely useful for that. Now, here is where I think people look at visuals in a very literal way. They say visuals are 
images and photographs that I'm inserting in my page. And actually, we don't look at visuals necessarily limited to that, that definition. For us, a visual is anything. It can be written. In fact, in our case, most of it is written, but that evokes an image in the mind of the reader. Um, now, there are two very specific types of visuals that I'm talking about over here. One is a contrast device. So how do I talk about my product um, in, for example, I'll give you an example. So if um, for one of our clients that sells an air purifier, which is a very complicated product, the way we kind of inject a visual in writing is we actually talk about how air purifiers used to be, how bulky they used to be 15 years ago. And so what I've done is I've created a contrast device. Um, I'm kind of creating a contrast between what their product does, which is really tiny and sleek and really energy efficient versus what used to be available in the marketplace 15 years ago. And it creates a visual in the mind of the buyer. And this visual embeds deeper in their psyche, which increases their likelihoods. The other aspect of using visuals is for um, analogies. This is really important point here as well, is that we, we live and navigate the world through analogies. If you're selling an air purifier and someone is buying an air purifier, they've probably never bought an air purifier, especially if they're a first-time buyer. They don't really have any mechanism to connect with this air purifier. So what you're doing is you're using an analogy. An analogy essentially is using something that we are familiar with to explain something that we're not familiar with. So in the case of that air purifier, one of the analogies that we used was this device can see what your eyes can't. So we use an analogy that people understand that you know our eyes can see certain things that we can't see certain things. And I use that to explain the fact that this air purifier can see pollen and allergens in and, and small little things in the room that are invisible to the eye. So how do we use how do we use these devices to create a visualization in the mind of the reader. Essentially, we, we want to use, uh, use metaphors and storytelling, but do it, attempt to do it in, in visual ways, not necessarily like literally, here's an illustration of the product. Okay, exactly. It makes sense. Yeah, so less stilted, less technical writing. It helps us work around um, the criticism they're like oh that's too much text i can't read it it's boring so we, we're trying to hook them we're trying to keep them interested and then we're trying to uh, make it uh, entertaining and easy for them easier for them to understand if we work uh, as much as possible in visual metaphors okay i'm with you awesome so moving on to the next one which is strategy number six and this is a really important one um and this is that shoppers need motivation to break habits now this is I would say this is this is like at the central central heart of this entire strategy. You know Newton's law of motion was had this wonderful thing that said you know bodies in motion uh, stay in motion bodies at rest stay at rest. For a shopper who is who is who we're trying to convince like for example in your case you're trying to look for these lights. Um, you have a couple of options available to you. You can choose to do nothing, and that's a really strong option by the way. Most consumers actually choose to do nothing. Yeah. The other thing you can do is you can find a workaround. You can say, you know what, I'm going to use, I'm going to buy a secondhand set of lights or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use the lights that we have in our basement that we haven't used in a long time. So you can use a workaround. And so what I need to do as a copywriter, and this is the, this gets to the heart of it, is that not only do I need to make a compelling sales pitch and tell you what the product does and demystify what the product does, that's kind of part of it. In fact, I would say it's kind of useless if you don't do this next part, which is giving you the energy, lift, literally lifting up the reader and 
elevating them and giving them the boost that they need to pull out their credit card. You need to give them that motivation. And so this is why it's one of the most central pieces of our whole copywriting process. And is that where we're introducing uh, urgency or, or scarcity or urgency and scarcity? No, no, actually, so it's, uh, you know, I have a controversial take on those things. I actually like to not use those uh, techniques. So, so here's how we, be, how we do it, Kurt. Um, we recognize that there's a narrative in the mind of the buyer that says, you know, well, I, for example, if I'm selling hearing aids, um, we know that most people will, who are looking for a hearing aid will ultimately conclude that they don't want it because it's, it's kind of an emotional purchase. Nobody wants to admit they need a hearing aid. So what you do there is you you use an interesting detail to, we, we like to do this. We like to, on the product page, we will say, we will show a dropdown. And the question, the dropdown will say, can you guess how long it takes the average buyer to recognize that they have a hearing problem? And then this dropdown, it says one year, three years, four years, and seven years. Every single person selects seven years because they know the truth. They know it's seven years. And when they select seven years, we say, you're exactly right. It actually takes the average American seven years to recognize that they have a hearing problem. Now, what I've done over here is really interesting. Uh, I've used I've used a bunch of tactics, right? I've used, I've used a fascinating detail, which we talked about earlier, but I'm also using a, a way to kind of give them the motivation to say, you know what, do I really want to be that citizen? If I've been waiting five years, do I really want to wait two more years and have bad hearing? So that gives me the motivation to, to say, you know what, I'm actually going to go buy my hearing aids. Um, and to kind of give you an, another related example of a workaround, imagine if I'm Peloton and I'm selling a, a, I'm selling a stationary bike, um, which is what they do. One of the workarounds that a consumer might have is that, you know, well, I just run outside. Um, I, I, I've been running outside for years. Why do I need a stationary bike at home? And so the competition for Peloton is not the fact, not it's not another brand that is selling a stationary bike. It's the fact that the consumer has a workaround, which is running outside. So what I would do is I would build a case talking about the joint damage and how much wear and tear happens in our knees when we run the concrete. So I'm building a case against running outside. I want them to fire that other alternative, which is the workaround. And I want them to hire me, which is Peloton. So those are two ways in which we can use that strategy. I think the alternative is riding a bike on the street, in which case I would just like my Peloton ad, my product description, every other paragraph would just be someone getting hit by a car, like an animated <laughs> GIF. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. Oh my gosh, don't laugh at that. <laughs> Wear a helmet. <laughs> Wear a helmet. Okay. Uh, what, which brings us to which point? It brings us to point number seven now. Which is how many that, points are there? How yeah, two more, two more, two more, two more. Okay, two more. yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wrap up real quick. So, uh, shoppers love personalized experiences. Kurt, this is the thing that we actually discussed in our previous conversation. I'll kind of recap it real quick. So, the analogy is that imagine if you are selling a juicer and you have this incredible juicer that makes this extracts juice from oranges and apples and makes really healthy juices. Well, if you had a retail store and a customer walked in and had a conversation with you, the way we would have that conversation with them is we would ask them, you know, have you, how long have you been looking for a juicer? Um, what, you know, what kind of a juicer are you looking for? Are you looking to make juice for one person or four people? And we'd ask them, this is very natural human conversations. And what's happening it, at a subconscious level is that as I'm having the conversation, I am kind of putting together finding it's almost like a filtering system i'm finding the perfect juicer for this buyer and we did it when i worked in a bike shop many years ago it's like what brings you in today was always the opening question and then they tell you that you would kind of you could narrow down like okay this is 
oh, you're looking for this kind of bike or like, oh, you just need, you know, some accessories. It was, it, it made it easy. And it wasn't like a sales thing. It was just, it was customer service. Like, how do you be the most relevant to just help this person? And I bet that you guys had a different sales pitch, even though you might not have had a written out sales pitch for people that walked in that said, I've never bought a bike before or ridden a bike before versus someone who's like a pro at it, who's, got, you know, who's got like really fancy well, gear. For sure. right? Yeah. And especially like uh, this shop in particular specialized in recumbent bikes, super niche and weird and dirty. And so you had to overcome that. And so actually it really was quite the, the education um, in these, uh, these sales processes. And so the idea is that why is our, pro it's, when I look at product descriptions, it makes me laugh so much because it's almost like the marketer has taken a microphone, has one script and it's screaming that script to everybody who would listen. Yep. And our thought is that, you know, why not personalize it? Now, the personalization part, as we talked about in the previous episode, is a little complicated in the sense that you have to add a button or some way for them to interact and say who they are and then personalize the copy. Some of our listeners might feel like, oh, that's really complicated to do. So don't do that as a step one. But this strategy is not really about adding button functionality. This strategy is about writing copy in a way where the buyer feels that it's being written for them. And so, for example, I'll give you a great example. So imagine if you are selling a sports bra. Um, and I want to use that very specific, specific example because um, a lot of women who are who are looking for a sports, sports bra are, find their regular bras very uncomfortable. They, you know, running outside, uh, wearing a bra, they, there are certain anatomical issues that ladies have to deal with. So what you're doing is you are kind of working backwards and saying, who, what are some of the challenges that my buyers are dealing with? And what you're then doing is you're writing copy based on your, your understanding about those challenges. So when I read it as a, as a female, I feel like these guys understand me. That's what I mean by personalization. Personalization doesn't always have to be a mechanism where we have a wizard. Personalization could just be the feeling I get when I read your description. So make the reader feel like you understand and empathize with their pain. So when we say personalization, you really, you want to have a, a customer persona in mind and you know, like, okay, this is, this is the, the most likely person that we have to convince. And so we're going to write to them. We're going to picture that one person and write one-on-one -on -one to them. And that's what we mean by personalization. And then down the road, you want to fancy it up and use you know, Google Optimize to try and segment and change, swap out copy or like a configurator type scenario with buttons or maybe just break up headings and try and have people self-select. You could yep. do that. And that's also personalization, but there is like a non-technical entry point for personalization. Exactly right. And rushing on to the next strategy, number eight, is that we shoppers like knowing that they've stumbled onto something rare. Now, this is really, this is really, really important. Nobody wants to buy a commodity. We want commodity prices, but nobody wants to buy a commodity. And so how do we communicate to the buyer that they've discovered something that most people normally don't discover. One of the techniques that we like to use is we talk about the fact that of all the people that come to our website, very few people discover this bestseller. So I'll have copy like, you know, only 5% of people that come to our website ever discover this bestseller. That's one way of doing it. There are many ways of doing this, but you That's want smart. to make that That's person feel. What, what do you do on it? You say you've got only 5% of people ever buy this? 5% of people that come to our website ever discover this bestseller. Interesting. Okay. So you make them feel like they stumbled on an Easter egg. Exactly. And if I, you know, uh, like another example would be like, if I'm selling premium dog food, I could actually have copy that says only 1% of Americans or 
people, I guess uh, this is an American example, only 1% of Americans invest in premium dog food. And so that kind of makes the person feel special too. So you can, there's a bunch of devices for how you can make that person feel like they've stumbled onto something rare. But the bottom line is you want to make them feel that way. You want to evoke that emotion. 99% of Americans pretty much feed their dog poison. You're the one person who won't. Congratulations. Your award is in the mail. Like that's really, that's what's going on. That's what we're doing. Like you got to read between the lines and think of like the inverse or the implication of a lot of this copy. I have fun with it. Just like spelling it out. You know, like in that scenario, um, I don't know I enjoy it. My wife always, <laughs> at least I do shtick, and my wife laughs about it anyway. No, I, I think I think you're you're exactly right. I mean, the the idea is you know, is kind of like figuring out. And again, we're not you know remember these these copywriting techniques that we're talking about. We're not talking about each of them being one paragraph long. So that means you've got nine paragraphs worth of content. We're talking about the feelings that they are evoking. You can do that with just one word choice. So it doesn't have to be very wordy, you know, keep that in mind. Um, and now we will move on to the finale, the most uh, final element, point number nine, which is we must resolve their negative thoughts. Um, I think this is, um, let me put it this way. As the user is going through our sales pitch, our brain is working feverishly. Our brains have been designed to not make purchases. Making a purchase is a very risky proposition. So our brain has been equipped. And this kind of goes back to prehistory when we were kind of being attacked by saber tooths. Uh, our brain is doing everything in its power to make sure that we are protecting ourselves. And spending money is the exact opposite of protecting ourselves. So the brain is working really hard to kind of throw up all these questions. Um, and so as you're reading the sales pitch, your brain is working at throwing up all of these negative questions. Now, here's the thing. Here's where the copywriter's job is super complicated. I need to anticipate what those negative questions are. And then I need to address those negative questions because here's what I know. We talked about uh, one of the points above. We talked about the idea is, you know, interesting details. We talked about the fact that we need to get the reader to go right to the bottom of our sales pitch. This is a really important point. If they do not get to the bottom of our sales pitch, statistically speaking, they're people who get to half of our sales pitch are half as likely to convert as people who get to the bottom of the sales page. Uh, it's just a fact. It's like, I've never bought something where I've read half the description and said, eh, sold, right? I typically go through the whole description. So when I get to the bottom of that journey, it's like a hero's journey. If I still have some fundamental negative thoughts in my mind, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to defer judgment. I'm going to say, you know what? I don't have all the information I need to buy these lights today. I don't know, Kurt, if you bought those lights, but most people would say, you know, I'm going to think, I'm going to talk to my wife about this. I'm going to come back to this website after a couple of days and then I'll make the purchase. The reality is, again, you know what talk- happened? Scarcity got to me. Ooh. I went to, like, I noticed the lights I wanted sold out. This is why I couldn't just replace the lights. The specific, the warm, I discovered warm white LEDs seem to be very scarce. And so mm-hmm. I went to a couple of stores in which they'd have like all the cool white LEDs, warm white, just empty shelves. And so I was like, oh, crap. So the first thing I, I found Home Depot online, had them in stock, boom, pulled the trigger immediately. Still, the sense. supply chain scarcity got me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's right. So that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a specific scarcity kind of scenario. But, you know, if, if you had read, if, if it wasn't scarcity and you got to the bottom of the description and they had, there were certain questions, maybe about the energy efficiency, maybe it was about the installation, maybe it was about some other technical details that you cared about that they hadn't covered. You know, you could have emailed their customer service and asked that question. 0.001% of buyers would ever go to that extent. 
what they typically would do, they'd say, well, they don't have this question. Uh, they haven't answered this question and they just assume that they don't have that feature. And so that would like basically be a barrier from them buying and they would say they would never come back. And so we need to anticipate those questions and then we need to address those questions. And I want to just add one point over here. This is where genius copywriting come comes into play. You can act, if you're a really good copywriter, you can actually raise objections and address those objections. So even before the buyer is aware of the fact that there is a problem, you can actually, for example, if you're selling a product that is super bulky, I know one of the objections is going to be that this is super bulky. So I would just start off by saying, you've probably guessed this is super bulky. Let me tell you why it's super bulky. And that would make a really compelling reason for why it's super bulky, because it improves, give them a trade-off for, you know, that it's super efficient. And that's why we had to make it bulky because we decided being bulky was worth it if we could make it twice as efficient as everything else that's out there. The No, that absolutely works. Um, actually, I want to update my app, my Shopify app descriptions to state, hey, we coded them with liquid only because we know it's the most performant thing. But this is an objection because I there's a handful of features for some of these apps I can't or I'm limited in how I can implement because of this. But it is in the service of performance that I do this. And so I'm going to raise it and then bust it. I like that idea. Yeah, because if, 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 if you don't address it, then what's happening is you're actually forcing the buyer to make their own narrative. And almost every single time, they will make the narrative that is to your disadvantage. So you want to kind of get in front of that. Yeah, they're going to, they're making assumptions. So if you don't address it and then they make assumptions, you can't be mad about it. Um, I, I want to make a, a point here. If you listen to, the, to Rishi's nine points and you went, this is a lot of work and I have 50, 100 products. How am I going to do this? Well, I'd say go find your number one best-selling product and implement it there. And the chances are if you implement it on the one that's the bestseller, I, like that's going to have the biggest impact. And then you could even use, let's say it works there. Okay, use Shopify's ABC analysis report in which it's going to letter grade your products. The A grade ones are the Pareto's principal products. Those are the ones responsible for 80% of your revenue. Those are the ones that get the fancy descriptions, right? Um, and really, like once you've done the one, I would seriously doubt in most stores that like all the products are so incredibly different that you can't apply you know, at least parts of it or a framework uh, to it. So I think like once you get the one main product, you could do several others and really and get the impact out of it. But my question for you, Rishi, is how do I test this? How do, if I go through this exercise, how do I know if it was effective? I mean, look, um, you can. The only way that we've tested, we've only the only way we've known if it works is by actually running statistical A/B tests. And so we specifically work with retailers that have very high transaction velocity that are selling you know hundreds and thousands of uh, in, in revenue for those products. And then we A-B test to prove that the rewrite of the copy description has improved their conversion rate. Now, if you're a smaller retailer, um, you can do a couple of things. Uh, you can actually, there are two things you can do. One is you can actually, instead of focusing on the conversion rate number, which is fewer people actually can, can complete the transaction, you can maybe have the conversion goal as people clicking the add to cart, which is a good enough proxy for you to know if more people are moving from your product page to further on the page. Another thing you can do is you can actually rewrite your description and you can look at what we call the look to book ratio, which is number of people that came to this product page 
number of units of this product that was sold divided by number of people that came to this product page, which is very different than your conversion rate number. It's actually very specific to that skew. And if you notice a meaningful improvement in that, you know that your description was, if that's the only thing you change, then that's the reason why it improved uh, the efficiency. Uh, Rishi, well, what have we missed? What else would you like to leave people with? We have gone long here. I got to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I I recognize how this this going through these nine items is this these checklists of nine items is is overwhelming. I would say that you know, um, pull up that list and ask yourself like, which of these do I really want to focus on? I would say for your to Kurt's point, for your bestseller, focus on all of them. But then really ask yourself like, you know, maybe maybe there's a subset of these that actually in particular is relevant to me. For example, if you're selling a technical product, I would say the demonstration of expertise is more important than everything else. And so I would like double down on that expertise angle. If you're selling a product that, you know, has a very high ticket value, I would focus on one of the other attributes, maybe, you know, giving people motivation to break habits. So you can kind of pick and choose from the um, from this list because you understand who your audience is, what are the elements that matter the most. But I can tell you what I want to communicate to the audience is that, these nine elements are things we have rigorously been A-B testing for the last 13 years. This is where the bulk of your conversion lift on the product page is going to come from. Rishi, uh, I love it. I want to know more. Where can I learn more about you? I share conversion ideas on my newsletter. Um, every week, I, 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 this is what I'd say, is that the, the amount of marketing experimentation that's happening in the marketplace right now is monumental. I mean, there are hundreds of retailers that are doing really incredible experiments. Many of them are super small. I mean, we talked about Crutchfield today. That's a huge retailer. They probably don't experiment as much as a really small Shopify shop would. So what I do, because I have a lot of time in my hands, I spend a lot of time I also spend a lot of time watching infomercials, but when I'm free of infomercials, I actually go to these niche websites and I see what kind of interesting things that they're doing on their product pages. And I collect the best ideas. And once a week, I share them with my mailing list. And if anyone wants to join, the way to join that mailing list is go to my website, frictionless-commerce.com. That's frictionless-commerce.com forward slash J-O-I-N join. And you will get a simple sign up form, sign up, you can unsubscribe whenever you want. And once a week, I'll share with you the most interesting things that I've learned about how to convert shoppers. I will include that and more in the show notes. Rishi, thank you so much. Thank you, Kurt. When you're creating your own e-com store, sometimes competing just isn't enough. Kick your sales into overdrive with Out of the Sandbox Turbo Theme. As the name would imply, Turbo is a high-performance-focused premium theme with great mobile optimization. Turbo's even got speed settings, sport, and ludicrous. Ludicrous mode predicts what page will be visited next and preloads the page in the background so your site becomes even faster. They've gone to plat! Load time, speed, theme support, and great mobile optimization are all contributing factors as to why Turbo has a 100% five-star rating by customers on Out of the Sandbox. If blazing fast speed isn't a big enough rush, you can get the premium theme for 20% off. Use code KURT20, that's K-U-R-T-2-0 today at outofthesandbox.com slash unofficial, and you'll be off to the races. Try Turbo today with a 14-day money-back guarantee, but you're sure to be satisfied. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe.
you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.